This is a podcast from the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at UNSW. For more information, go to www.caldorcentre.unsw.edu.au. On the 14th and 15th of April 2016, the Caldor Centre was proud to co-sponsor a symposium at All Souls College, Oxford, to celebrate the scholarship of Professor Guy Goodwin-Gill. The symposium brought together leading international refugee law scholars and practitioners. The following podcast is a presentation by Jane McAdam, titled Guy S. Goodwin-Gill, the International Refugee Law Scholar. To know Guy Goodwin-Gill is to know that you must never forget the S. <laughs> Just as the Oxford Insider knows that it's Magdalen College and not Magdalen, so too the Goodwin-Gill aficionado discerns that it is GSGG, not just GGG. As a newly arrived doctoral student, this was, however, a little disconcerting. When an email is only ever signed with four letters, what does one call one's supervisor? I decided that Professor Goodwin-Gill was the safest option in person, but to my friends and family, he was just known as Goody. (laughs) I don't think he ever knew that. (laughs) I thought of entitling this paper, Everything Old is New Again, but given that the present occasion is to mark somewhat relatedly Guy's retirement, I thought that that could be, be potentially misconstrued. What I meant, of course, was that so many of the issues that Guy has identified over the course of his career remain intractable political problems. And just as he predicted, the consequences of failing to address those problems have come to pass. Yet while the obstacles to realising international protection continue to resonate, Guy's efforts to devise intelligent and pioneering legal responses continue to inject dynamism and inspiration into the field. The name Guy S. Goodwin-Gill is synonymous with international refugee law. Since his first seminal work in 1978 on international law and the movement of persons between states, Guy has been an intellectual pioneer in identifying, mapping and shaping this area of law. His book, The Refugee in International Law, first published in 1983, has lived up to his hope that, and I quote, it would serve not only as an authoritative statement of the current law, but also as a pointer to the future, as a basis for further inquiry and the development of appropriate principles and solutions. Guy's scholarship is underpinned by a razor-sharp intellectual rigour and refined skills of legal analysis. His progressive interpretation of the law guided by a deep commitment to human rights and social justice, is steeped in impeccable black-letter law techniques of systematic forensic analysis and attention to detail, absolutely essential to its authority and credibility. In this way, he's established, sorry, he's challenged established modes of thinking and been able to advocate for change in a principled, defensible manner. Guy is the consummate international refugee scholar precisely because his career has encompassed more than scholarship alone. His years with UNHCR, his engagement with NGOs and his advocacy in the courts, in parliamentary committees and beyond have informed his understanding of protection and the role that law might play in ameliorating the conditions in which refugees and asylum seekers find themselves. 
Guy is an idealist in the sense that he holds true to fundamental principles of law and justice, but he is also a realist in that he understands the importance of finding pragmatic, practical solutions that can be adapted to existing circumstances. Records of his time as UNHCR's legal advisor in Australia in the late 1970s reveal his reasoned guidance, his adherence to legal principle, and his determination to ensure that government decision-making was done in accordance with international law and not infected by emotion or irrelevant considerations. As Guy recently put it, the honest pragmatist, and I quote, will want policies and practices to be evaluated in the light of their impact and effects, but also against standards of governance intrinsic to democratic representative government, such as transparency and accountability. In 1993, Guy began his editorial in the International Journal of Refugee Law as follows. The past year has not been an easy one. Racist violence disfigures the cityscape of so-called civilised societies. Ethnic cleansing is an obscenity working its way into everyday language. Terrorists wage their war on civilians, children, women and men. He went on. The challenges, institutional, legal and above all operational, are immense. Conservative forces will preach caution and non-engagement. Sovereigntists will object to international concern. Mistakes will be made. Fortuitously or not, the cause of refugee advocates will mesh increasingly with that of those with multiple other good reasons for crossing borders. And in each case, it will likely become harder to ensure the success of principle over short-term again, international solidarity over, national, over narrow national interests. Everything old is new again, or was it ever thus? These recurrent themes, pernicious root causes, unilateralism versus cooperation, definitions and mandates, mark out the playing field of international protection. And where the goalposts lie seem to depend on where one is standing. A theme that's run throughout Guy's work is the meaning, nature and scope of international protection. In 1991, Guy expressed concern that there is a real danger that the UN and the existing international system may prove inadequate to cope with the demands placed upon it now and in the future. Four years later, he argued that it was time for a substantial review of both the mandate of UNHCR and the rationale for maintaining the 1951 Convention definition approach to refugee protection and solutions, and that the latter, and I quote, must now be complemented and in due course replaced by an instrument appropriate to present and future needs. Nevertheless, Guy has cautioned against reaching for the treaty equivalent of euthanasia, as he put it. (coughs) On the one hand, this is no doubt a response to political realities, a recognition that any new instrument, which to be effective would need to embrace displacement in all its variety, guarantee certain minimum standards of treatment to people in need of protection, including refuge and non-refoulement, and promote solutions by making a reality of international cooperation seems a highly unlikely prospect. On the other hand, Guy has argued persuasively that many of the alleged deficiencies of the Refugee Convention are indeed misplaced. Those who who call for an overhaul of the instrument, whether they think it to be too restrictive, inflexible or too generous, commonly misapprehend its historical origins and purpose. 
1951 conviction was never intended as a comprehensive document. And I quote Guy, it did not deal with, it was not, not intended specifically to deal with large-scale refugee movements, the question of asylum or admission to asylum, the details of international cooperation, or the promotion of solutions other than those related to the status of the individual as a refugee. Guy has challenged two dominant assumptions, namely that the Refugee Convention is outdated or ill-suited as a vehicle for refugee protection, or that it is being abused by so-called economic migrants and others who are not in need of international protection. Altering the Convention would be non-responsive, since the presumed cure is premised on a misdiagnosis. As Guy, put it, a mischaracter- as Guy has put it, mischaracterisation is likely to lead to the wrong inferences and the wrong solutions. And as he's also observed, if the con- convention was scrapped, the problems would not go away. As Guy explains, there are new groups of refugees and there have always been new groups of refugees. And the Convention itself has proven to be a living and evolving instrument, even if it does remain an imperfect instrument for identifying those in greatest need. This is why he favours a dynamic approach to protection through the progressive development of international law, using existing legal principles and standards within the corpus of international law to secure the rights, security and welfare of refugees and to find durable solutions to their plight. Still, for a long time now, Guy has perceived the need for the international system to be overhauled. What is needed is a regime that is accountable, practical, predictable, universal and (coughs) solution-oriented and, I quote, competent to deal with external and internal refugees as well as with the forced or involuntary migrant without protection. In this regard, he believes that and I quote again, radical institutional changes are called for to respond effectively to today's population displacements and to those which which inevitably will follow. These include a new or substantially revised statute for UNHCR, new funding arrangements including the acquisition of funds for humanitarian assistance from frozen assets of states responsible for displacement, reconsideration of the idea of safe or neutral zones, the creation of truly regional responses to protection, such as a European Migration and Protection Agency competent to implement and fulfil the EU's protection goals. In 1987, Turkey <coughs> argued that international protection could not be disassociated from international cooperation and assistance. Indeed, as an obligation through time, Guy has noted that, I quote, continuing compliance with non refoulement may well depend on a normative context of cooperation, particularly in situations of large-scale influx. Events in Europe over the past year have shown the precariousness of protection when states fail to cooperate, and the very subdued results of UNHCR's high-level meeting last month to encourage greater global responsibility sharing on the admission of Syrian refugees don't inspire a lot of hope. As Guy wrote 20 years ago, Unless we are able to move beyond reactive solutions and deal comprehensively with causes, then we are destined to be locked into ever-repeating cycles of population displacement and therefore of displacement crisis. Guy's work is characterised by scrupulous black-letter law analysis infused with a deep appreciation of history, 
and a forward-looking, protective approach grounded in the object and purpose of the Refugee Convention and related human rights instruments. He also believes that refugee law is inseparable from the broader legal, social and political context and that this awareness should not only inform international lawyers' approach to issues but make them alert to the potential real-world ramifications of their work. A hallmark of Guy's writing is the historical context it provides and the care he takes to identify the lineage of particular concepts and legal principles. As Guy has written, the history is important and no international lawyer can avoid being a historian. This gives us the long view essential to understanding law in the relations of states and enables us to counter misunderstandings dressed up as advocacy. If we don't understand where we've come from, then we risk repeating mistakes, losing direction and mischaracterising evolution as revolution, to paraphrase Guy. Guy cannot abide in precision, academic revisionism or advocacy masquerading as scholarship. And he's written that a great, indeed damaging disservice is done to the protection of refugees by pretending that rules exist where there are none. And extravagant advocacy, he said, can muddy the clarity of fundamental principles. Following my first attempt at a DPhil chapter in September 2001, I left Guy's office with a note to myself scrawled across the top, and it said, you are not writing an advocacy brief for Amnesty International. <laughs> Be objective. <laughs> In the preface to the second edition of The Refugee in International Law, Guy reflected on the much younger person who, (laughs) 14 years earlier, had written the first edition of that book. Whereas his younger self looked forward to a time when human rights and basic freedoms might be attainable by everyone, he now said that this implicit optimism premised on a profound belief in the human capacity to resolve problems, was certainly harder to sustain. In the intervening 20 years, there have been few high watermarks to rekindle that youthful optimism. And yet Guy has persisted in his staunch commitment to the rule of law, his belief in the transformational value of human rights law, and his unwavering defence of the right of refugees to seek asylum and to be able to live in safety and in dignity. (coughs) Retirement has unleashed a new energy and focus for Guy. (laughs) And his contributions are surely needed, given the political disdain for the refugee regime and protection-oriented solutions. In a series of keynote speeches that he has delivered around the world since his formal retirement, the themes of his earlier work underpin bold, policy-oriented calls to action. He continues to craft templates for reimagining protection. Guy's considered powerful interventions come precisely from his authority in the field, but also because of all the features I've mentioned thus far. His ability to see the bigger picture, and to situate today's problems within a longer history. He can connect themes, identify trends, and spot wheels being reinvented. He understands the institutional dynamics. He has extensive theoretical knowledge. He knows how law impacts on individual lives from his work at the bar and with UNHCR. In sum, he embodies what he wanted the International Journal of Refugee Law to do when he founded it, namely connect scholarship with practice, refugee protection with human rights protection, 
history with the future, and great ideas with policymakers. Guy's work has contributed to the formation of law and policy at the national and international levels, filtering through to every field office, immigration department and tribunal where refugee status determination decisions take place. His leadership has undoubtedly led to the protection of countless refugees around the world. Guy's legacy has been to create a field of scholarship and a global community of scholars, well integrated with the legion of practitioners. One can scarcely imagine the field of refugee law without it, that is the journal, or without him, the person. Indeed, at a conference a few years ago, Guy was described as a source of international refugee law under the ICJ statute, <laughs> which led to a few of us nicknaming him 38-1D. <laughs> Equipped with his Mont Blanc fountain pen, his yellow-ruled notepad, and a double espresso. <laughs> he is indeed formidable. When I look around the room now and see Guy's extended professional family who have come here from far and wide, it is indeed a tribute to Guy. Some of you he has taught directly or has supervised. Others he's mentored in more indirect ways, including through his creation of the journal, which has provided a forum for research, writing and thinking about refugee matters for the past 27 years. Others of you are collaborators, colleagues and friends. All of you are distinguished in your own right. And this is why I wanted to recount an email conversation that occurred a month or so ago between some of today's speakers who should remain anonymous. The email began. Please remember one and all, it is only a fest shrift. No one expects anything too much. We're just trying to be nice to an old person. <laughs> and then in capital letters... Really, I am working harder on this than I've worked on anything in ages. Guy, don't you feel like going back to full-time employment at Oxford for a few years so I have a chance to write something? <laughs> a response came back. Total agreement. Maybe we could give Guy our titles. He could write an article on each and then we could engage with his scholarship, maybe in a blog post or something. That would work for me. <laughs> Guy declined. And so it is that we still have a day of papers to look forward to and a special issue of the journal in due course. <clears throat> Finally, on a personal note, I would like to express my heartfelt thanks to Guy for his immense support over the years. From GSGG to Guy, from supervisor to friend, he's provided me with countless opportunities that were, on, that were beyond my wildest dreams when I began here at Oxford back in 2001. And I continue to seek his wise counsel on matters of, on all sorts of matters on a regular basis. And I'm very, very grateful to you, Guy, for everything that you've done and continue to do for me and for everyone here. Thank you so much.